Good morning and welcome to Shelby Christian Church. Before we get started with worship, would you stand up, wave, say hello. If you want to go shake someone's hand, that's up to you. That's your call. But we are glad that you're here this morning.
Just one word, you calm the storm that surrounds me. But just one word, the darkness has to retreat. Just one touch, I feel the presence of heaven. Just one touch. Minds were open to see, Mark can't help but believe. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a mountain that He can't move. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. And just one word, you heal what's broken inside.
later on this afternoon, myself and quite a few of the staff and several of our students are going to our annual fall retreat. I'm excited. I've been praying long and hard for this. Um, and not to spoil it for any of the youth that might be watching it online or in here this, this morning. But we're going to be discussing choices. Each of us have multiple choices to make each and every day. We've probably made close to 100 already since we've been up this morning. Some of us chose to be here in person. Some of us chose to be online to watch. But we're making these choices. And what I'm going to challenge the, the students with is you have a choice to believe or to follow. Even the demons believe. Even though who, who tried to prove Jesus wasn't who he was, believed that he was right there in front of them. They saw the things. But yet to follow, follows much more than believing, is trusting. And I say all this to think about the choices we have to make as parents. We know this is a life long process with our children. The choices, son, daughter, the choices, the choices. You've got to make good decisions. And then I think about the choice that Jesus made. I get caught up time and time again when he's in the garden. He had a choice. Father, man, if you could take this from me, this is too heavy. This is going to hurt too bad. This is going to be too much. But your will over mine, there was a choice to be made. May we remember this choice and may we have and choose to remember each and every day. May we choose not just to believe, but to follow each and every day. And may we remember three days later, he chose to come out of that grave. May we pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the ability that we can make our own choices, but have that whisper the choices you want to encourage, the choices you want to work with, guide and lead and direct. I thank you for the choices that your son made to come down on earth, to become nothing so we could have everything. The choice of to have his body broken, crucified, buried, and then rose and raised again. God, I thank you again. May we never forget. In your name we pray. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Good morning. Good morning. Man, that had been an awesome week. Awesome week. And, you know, I don't know about you. I, I'm in this dilemma. I'm in this dilemma. I kind of love the temperature of fall. I kind of love the colors of fall. I hate that I know what's coming next. That's the dilemma that I'm in. I just, real quick, turn to the person next to you and tell them what your favorite season of the year is. If you're watching online, type it in the comment bar. What's your favorite season of the year? Maybe you can even talk about the why. Maybe the person next to you even already knows that. We're so glad that you guys are here. We're so glad to have our online people watching. I just checked before I came in, and there's like already 50, 60 devices of people watching. Uh, Who knows how many people that is. And so we're excited about that. I know it's a fall break weekend. a lot of folks are traveling and things, and so we're glad you're here in person. We're glad you're here uh, online. Today, today we're going to kind of finish up. Uh, this is the final message in this mini-series about the final answer that Jesus brings to our life. Next week, we start a new mini-series in this Jesus uh, 2020 Focus on Jesus year. Uh, next week, we start talking about uh, the atoning sacrifice, and then after that, We've just got one more mini-series, and we've gone all the way through the Gospel of Luke. So we're going to talk about the atoning sacrifice, and then the last couple weeks of November, uh, we'll talk about uh, the resurrection uh, and and finish up the year that way. So I'm glad you're here. But in this in this series, in this mini-series, we've looked at some real stories of men who had questions uh, that Jesus addressed. And just like Regis Philbin would ask, is this your final answer? Jesus kind of pushed them, forced them uh, into their final answer. But today, today's a little bit different in this series uh, because today we've got a made-up story. Uh, it's, a, it's a parable that Jesus told, uh, which means it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Uh, but like mo- unlike most parables, this one actually has a direct connection to some history that we'll see in just a moment. But but here's what's going on. It, it, it's Passover time, and, and Jesus, along with thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews, are headed to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, this, this annual celebration that commemorated uh, their deliverance uh, from the deliverance uh, from Egypt. And so the Israelites celebrated that every year, and, and Jesus and his entourage were on their way to Jerusalem. Now, Jesus knew that this would be a Passover like unlike any other Passover because he knew what was going to happen as part of that. But so far, on this journey, and we've talked about how he was passing through Jericho, or the first story kind of getting close to Jericho, and then passing through Jericho, coming out of Jericho now, heading to Jerusalem. And, and so far, he, he's run into several, three different guys. One of them was a young, unnamed, very wealthy guy who had to figure out what his real treasure was. And that was the final answer he had to find. And then there was a blind guy who, who started off wanting money, but then changed to wanting his vision when he heard Jesus coming. So he had to determine what he was really looking for. Uh, and, then, and then last week, last week we looked at this sinful tax collector who just wanted power. And he had to figure out who he was really serving. But now he's, he's, we've seen these three real life things. And Jesus is on that final, final descent into Jerusalem. And he's like, okay, I got to tell you one more thing. 
I got to tell you guys one more thing, and he tells this story. See, at the end of at the end of the narrative that we read last week in Luke chapter nineteen and verse ten, Jesus at the end of these three encounters with these three men revealed why he was really here. Luke nineteen ten, Jesus says, "For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost." That's that's why he's here. And as they're about to make this uh, this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Verse 11 tells us in today's text, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable. Like I said, it's just like he's, guys, one more thing. Just one more thing before we make this journey. A New Testament scholar, Daryl Box, said this, and it'll be on the screen behind me. He wrote this about this passage. He said, this is the final parable in Luke's record of Jesus' final journey to Jerusalem. Its themes uh, are Jesus' authority and judgment and the faithfulness of his disciples and important topics in the light of the coming departure and eventual return. Now, here's the key. What relationship will people have with Jesus? What accountability will they possess in light of his absence and return? And what will happen to the nation that rejects him. These important things that are come out in this story about the relationship and about the accountability and about the consequences of life and life's decisions. Uh, the famous preacher Chuck Swindoll, he wrote this about it. He said, while the Lord's followers were listening to these things, they did not understand them, nor would they until much later. Jesus came to establish <clears throat> excuse me, a different kind of kingdom. Here's what they expected. They expected that he would raise an army. They expected that he would overthrow Rome. They expected that he would conquer the world. And they expected that he would usher Israel into a new golden age of power and prosperity. He'll do that eventually, Swindoll said, but not immediately. The true Messiah, as opposed to the Messiah of selfish expectations, came with a different kind of of agenda. I like that. He said, this Messiah different than the, the, the selfish mix Messiah that people wanted. You know, isn't there that, you know, it's like when you're a little kid and, and you've kind of been getting picked on maybe, and you've got a big brother or, or you've got a friend in the classroom that's bigger than everybody. And for whatever reason, they like you. And, and there's that feeling that just wait till my brother or just wait till my friend gets a hold of you. Then you're going to see something. And, and so it all saying that there was a part of the Jewish family that were like, oh, yeah, when this Messiah comes, you're going to get it. But that wasn't that wasn't Jesus's agenda, was it? That wasn't how he was going to come. So if you got your Bibles this morning, let's jump into the text. It's a little bit longer. I want to read it for you so you get the whole context of the story. It's in Luke chapter 19, and it starts with verse 11. As we said before, it says, As these things he proceeded to tell them a parable, because he was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God uh, was to appear immediately. They thought, this is it. This is it. It's going to come. And he said, Therefore... A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas, one each. And he said to them, engage in business until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want him to reign over us. 
Then when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to do to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, you, uh, are you, um, you are to be over five cities. And then another one came, saying, Lord, here's your mina back, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the miner from him and give it to the one who has the ten minus. And they said, Lord, he already has ten minus. He said, I tell you, to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And then he said this, but as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. That's a rough kind of sounding story. Isn't it on some levels? So what's the purpose of this parable? Well, it it starts, if you let your eyes scroll back to verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them this parable because they were near to Jerusalem. What's going to happen in Jerusalem? There's going to be an arrest, a mock trial, a crucifixion, a burial. All that's going to go on. And because they had supposed the kingdom of God would appear immediately, something big is going to happen. It would appear immediately. Now, in the Greek, that word that is translated there, appear, it actually is the same as this nautical term for something that becomes visible on the horizon. Something that just suddenly appears above the horizon and you could see. In other words, they, they saw it all coming together. The, the Messiah and the multitudes and his kingdom with Jerusalem as the capital. And to correct their misplaced assumptions... He tells them this parable. Now, before we go any further, let's break down the parable because I think there are, there are six key components in this parable that we've got to make sure we understand. The nobleman here does represent Jesus. The nobleman represents Jesus. The, the journey to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself actually represents his coming ascension back into heaven after the resurrection. He, he's foretelling stuff that's coming. His return uh, that, that he tells about in here, Jesus' second coming. The, the ten servants represent all those who profess to serve Christ. Now the minus, there are ten minus, and each one of them was given. Each one of them represented somewhere between three and four months' wages. So, so I, just, I was thinking about this. So just imagine that that you go to work tomorrow and your boss gives you a bonus and says, here's an extra three or four months wages. Invest it well. Do something well with it. That's kind of what was going on. But it was still kind of the boss was saying here, this is actually my do something good with this while I go on this little journey. And then at the end it says, engage in business until I come. 
See, what Jesus is saying is about doing something productive and profitable what Jesus, with what Jesus has entrusted you with. Now, I know, I know that it's real easy to go, well, I ain't got nothing. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. We will, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. What am I supposed to do? I, I, don't, have, I don't have any skills. I, I don't have any gifts. And, and, and because we look at some that are visible, we go, oh, I, I can't play guitar like any of these guys up there. So I, I can't sing like any of those people. I can't lead a small group. I can't. I can't. And, and, and if we're not really careful, we focus all of our attention on the things that we can't do or that we feel we can't do rather than investing what we do have and to make a difference in people's lives. Now, I told you, I told you that unlike other parables, this parable had some parallels to Jewish history. I want you to read this. It's going to be on the screen behind me. It's from Warren Wiersbe, a, a noted preacher and author. It said, he wrote this. He said, many of the people who listened to this no doubt connected it with an event in Jewish history that had already happened many years before. When Herod the Great died in 4 B.C., he left Judea to his son, Archelaus, who had to go to Rome to have, an inheritance approved, have his inheritance approved. And not wanting Archelaus as their ruler, the Jews sent 50 men to argue their case before Augustus Caesar, who did ratify the inheritance without giving uh, Archelaus the title of king. So there was an event that had happened where a nobleman, somebody who could be king, had to go and get that approved. So Jesus is telling this story just a matter of years after this had happened. And, and I, you, there were some people, that were, that's what he's talking about. They could relate to that. This is the beauty of Jesus' teaching. He took things that people could relate to and applied it to their life. He took things that had actually happened. That they, He told stories about farming, and all the farmers in the room or in the crowd would go, yeah, I, I get that. And, and here he tells this story, but it's not the same. There's another parable like it. Some of you may have thought this was the same parable. There's another parable that Matthew recorded for us where Jesus talked about somebody going away, and he brought three servants, and he gave them different gifts. Remember that one? He brought one in, he gave him so many talents, another man, so many talents, so many, another so many talents. This one, he gave them all the same. It's a, it's a different story, and we know it's a different story uh, because it's a different town, it's a different crowd, there are different details, different figures, different number of servants, different gifts, different rewards. But this one, I want you to get this picture. Jesus tells this story, but there's no one who calls 10 servants in and gives them each the same thing and says, now, Go do something with it. So let's quickly dig into these three, what I think are three different groups of people that are represented by this story and to see their purpose. The, the first one's kind of obvious, okay? And, and all the three of these, if you want to remember them, all of them start with the word F or the letter F, the word F, the letter F, all right? The first are the foes, those that are obviously against the nobleman. Those are obviously against Jesus, okay? They're obvious enemies. You see, Jesus understood what Herod had done with Archelaus and knew that people would remember that story. And so, like the story of Archelaus, this, where the citizens of the nobleman sent this delegation and said, we don't want this guy to be over us. But you know, in this story that Jesus told, this, this nobleman had never given his citizens any reason to hate him. 
And the similarity is Jesus was hated without cause. What had Jesus ever done to cause anybody to hate him? During his time on earth, all he had done was show love. All he had done was minister to hurting people. All he had done was touch blind people and lepers and people that were in need of someone to care about them. And so he tells this story of this nobleman. He hasn't done anything, but people were against him. And in the case of Archelaus, the Jewish people had every reason to hate him, but Jesus had never given anyone any cause to hate him. And in the parable, even though the citizens hated the nobleman, they were still his citizens. Now, that's the picture of Jesus. Nobody, nobody has any reason to hate him, but everybody does. That's, or most everybody at this time does. That's the picture of Jesus. I want you to think a minute, and maybe if you're watching online, you might want to type this in your comment bar. But if you're just here, maybe you want to write it in your notes or just think about it. How do you picture Jesus? How do you picture Jesus at this moment? At this moment when, of course, part of it is now at this moment in time in 2020, you guys know the rest of the story. You know what's about to happen. But if you were there on this day, as Jesus is descending into Jerusalem, how do you, would you picture Jesus? Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says, For by, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and, don't miss this, created through him and for him. See, we've got to be really careful today because in our world today, a lot of times people say, well, you know, everything happens for a reason and the implication is, you know, maybe God caused this. But when Jesus, or when Paul wrote about this and writing about Jesus, he said not only were all things created through him, but for him. You know how you define, how you can have the litmus test to see if this is a God thing or not? Is it for God? When you, when you look at the world today and you see things that are going on, you say, well, did, did God put this? Is it for him? If it's not for him, it's not part of his creation. It's part of the adversary. Now, the enemies of Archelaus were unable to prevent him from taking the throne, and the foes who oppose Jesus are unable to keep him from taking his rightful place on his throne. In fact, Revelation chapter 19, verse 16 says, One day Jesus will return as what? King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what's going to happen. But in this parable, in verse 27, it says, But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. That sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? But guys, listen, here, here's the reality. There's no way of sugarcoating the severity and irreversibility of judgment for those who reject Jesus as Lord. That's, that's the reality. It's a life and death deal for all, for all of eternity. And that one verse, that verse 27, that should serve as a sobering warning 
to all that would want to reject Jesus or choose to reject Jesus. So there's the foes that Jesus addressed. But, but in this parable, like with most stories, there are some faithful. And he talks about them in verses 15 through 19. And here's the cool part. Here's the cool part. When the king returns, the, the nobleman returns, not only did he do away with his foes, but he also rewarded the faithful, those who had done the right things, those who had served him faithfully and productively. And he gave this an incredible bonus. Think for just a second. If you're online, maybe think about this and type it in the online or in the chat bar. What's the best bonus you've ever gotten? What's the best bonus you've ever gotten at work or in life for, for being faith, just doing the right thing? You know, now you got to be careful that you're not like Clark Griswold and you're assuming that there's a bonus coming that's not actually coming. But what's the, what's the best bonus that you've ever gotten just for doing the right thing? See, in this story, he calls all the service to him, to him uh, and who he'd given the money to, and he brought them so they could find, he could find out what it's, because he told him, go about doing business. That's what he told him. He said, go about doing business. And there are these two groups of servants. There's these faithful believers, and then there's these phony believers. Now, here's the problem. They all look alike. They all look alike until you see their fruit, until you see the results of what they've done. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether it be good or evil. Now, I think in this parable, verses 15 to 19 here kind of re represent the judgment seat of Christ, uh, the judgment of believers, all right? And, and the first and second servants, they come in and they say, here, here, here's that one mina. Here's 10 that came back from me investing and doing right with this mina. Here's this one mina, and here's five more. Do you realize the return on that? 1,500%. That's huge return on the investment. On, on their respective investments, they, they were humble about it. According to the way this parable is told, told, they didn't come running. They waited till they were called in and said, Lord, here, your mina has made ten more. Lord, here, your mina has made five minas. And their rewards were astounding. Sometimes, let's be honest, haven't we all had those moments when we've just kind of thought, is this really worth it? Is this really worth it? Whatever it is that you've invested, whatever it, whatever struggles that this life has brought you, whatever difficulties, whatever trials, and there, there's those moments where you're like, is it really worth it? Now, I want you to see the amazing reward. He didn't just like give them a pat on the back. He didn't give them, he put them in charge of cities, like 10 cities. And five cities. I mean, the way Jesus describes this, the reward is astounding for being faithful. So there's the foes and there's the faithful. And remember I said just a moment ago that there's, there's this difficulty because there's faithful servants and there's phony servants. And it's hard to tell the difference 
sometimes, except for their fruit. Which brings us to the third F. There's the foes, the faithful, and the false. Now he talks about the false in verses 20 through 26. I I find this kind of the most intriguing of all three groups because the first two are pretty obvious. Those who were either all out or who were all in. But this group is neither. In fact, verse 20 says, Then came another it just, that's how he did it. That's how Jesus did it. Okay, then here comes another one. It's not really defined. Now, in the Greek, there's, uh, there's a couple words that could have been used there. There's the word alios, which is uh, one that is another of the same kind. But here, the word that is used is heteros. That's another of a different kind. Jesus saying this servant, there's something different about this one. He's not really all in. This servant was different from the other servants. He took the mina that was given to him and says, hit it in a handkerchief. Hit it in a handkerchief, put it in the sock drawer. I don't know what. But he even then defended himself about how he did that. I read a blog this week uh, that was titled Choices and Consequences. And it began by asking me, you, to consider this. Here's, here's what he wrote. He said, just imagine, in three weeks, you've got a big presentation to a long-hoped-for new client. Some of you can imagine that very well because you've had to make those kind of presentations in your career. Maybe, maybe you had to make one this week or maybe in the past you've had to make one. You really wanted that client and it's time to make that presentation. But, you know, three weeks away, you got this big presentation and three weeks is plenty of time, though. So each day you sit down at your computer and instead of working on your presentation, you play game after game of whatever desktop tower defense or whatever is there and three weeks and a day later you're clearing out your desk after being let go for failing to land that big time wished for client obviously choices have consequences i think that one of the biggest lessons our world in general needs to learn today that choices have consequences Our kids need to learn choices have consequences. And you can overcome bad choices that have bad consequences, but they still have consequences. They're still there. Not only was this servant in this particular one, this other one, this one of a different kind, not only was this servant lazy, but if you look at verse 21, he actually blamed the king. He blamed the nobleman. He said, I was afraid of you. This is your fault. It's not my fault. This is your fault. He blamed him. He said, because you're a severe man, and you take what you did not deposit, and you reek what you did not See, we see the blame game all the time, don't we? It's always somebody else's fault. We see the blame game all the time in our world today, but apparently, apparently, apparently the blame game is not a new game. Apparently, the blame game's been around a while. In fact, it's not even new in this story. You know when the blame game started? The blame game started in Genesis 3, didn't it? And then when the blame game started, oh, it wasn't my fault. You know, he made me, she ate of it. It wasn't my fault. You know, that snake made me do it. See, the blame game's not a new game, but it's still a problem game. And then it gets, it gets even worse, as if it could get worse. Not only did he accuse the king of being unfair and unreasonable, 
He accused this king, this nobleman, of being a thief, of taking what really wasn't his. Then look at verse 22. The rebuke of the the king, the nobleman that Jesus is telling about, exposes the wicked heart of the servant. He says, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew what a severe man I was, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not at least put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. You could have done at least a little bit with it, but you hid it. You didn't have you didn't have to come back with ten minus. You didn't have to come back with five minus. You you could have probably even come back with no minus if you had tried to do something and it didn't work. But you didn't do anything. Do you see the problem there? You just didn't do anything. See, Jesus, Jesus isn't here talking about faithful believers he's talking about false believers how do we know that how do do we know that he's not talking about those of us who are trying to do the best we can and that he's not going to condemn those of us who are trying to do the best we can because jesus would never refer to any of his children as wicked or worthless how does that make you feel about jesus To know that this king would never refer to you as wicked or worthless if you're just doing the best you can. Just do the best you can. Verse 24, if you look back here one more time, the king pronounces judgment on this wicked servant. Take from take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And some some of the ones are standing there, but Lord, he already has ten minas. I can't ever imagine that happening today, can you? Well, they, what, wait, they've already got too much. Jesus, the king here says, I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And it's all about effort and what are we trying to do? Why am I here? Why am I here? I think this is where the rubber hits the road. There are always consequences to our actions. Many of them are earthly. But stay with me here. Some of them aren't. There, there's people that live their whole life here and never do anything, never invest anything for God. And it doesn't seem like there's any consequences. You skate by, or you just don't get caught. But the day will come, the day will come when all of our un forgiven actions have eternal consequences let's wrap this up there's some valuable lessons i think that we can pull out of this parable that jesus told the the first lesson is this those who rebel will ultimately be punished those who choose to rebel will ultimately be punished second lesson god expects us to do our best, not be the best. You see, that? that that's a big difference right there. God expects you and I to do our best, not necessarily to be the best. Just to work really hard. Just to try, just to invest, just to give it a shot. Just to try. Third valuable lesson. 
True servants of Jesus really serve Jesus. That's why that banner's hanging over there. Those core values of what we as a church have said, we believe those are the core values of a fully devoted disciple, that one of them is they serve. They serve, they get involved, they make a difference. You can't just call yourself a servant. You can't be on the receiving end of God's blessings and then squander those blessings. The fourth valuable lesson. This is the big one. Jesus rewards faithfulness. Not success, but faithfulness. Yeah, I told you I read that, that blog that described, you know, you had this chance to land this client, and you, you, you squander it, and you don't. Well, the, the writer of that, the writer of that did say something that I totally disagree with when it comes to following Christ. In that blog, here's something the author said. He said, you can choose your actions or you can choose your consequences, but you can't choose both. I totally disagree with that. Because the way you choose your actions, you're actually choosing your consequences. You have that opportunity. Jesus said just the opposite in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. He said, be faithful unto death. That's choosing your actions. And I will give you a crown of life. That's also choosing your consequences. That's the beauty of this thing, is that Jesus just says, just here it is. So as we wrap up this mini-series, the, the question today is, why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I going through all this? And the final answer is, just be faithful. Just be faithful. Just be faithful. Would you guys stand with me? Ethan and the guys are going to lead us in a song. I'll be right down here. If you need uh, someone to pray with you, if you need to take a step closer to Christ, I'd love to talk to you for a second. I'll hook you up with one of our elders, somebody that would be more than happy to pray with you. Um, Maybe if you're ready to make that big step, make that big step and, and allow Jesus to be Lord of your life. I'd love to talk to you about that. Why don't you take a step as we sing this together? Come awaken your people, come awaken the city, oh God of revival, pour it out, pour it out, every stronghold will crumble, I hear the chains in the ground, oh God of revival, pour it out,
just one more second if you don't mind if you're new here today if this is your first time uh, we invite you to stop out at the i'm new wall brett and his team are out there they've got a gift for you there'll be some folks back in the next step room i want to encourage you one more time we've been talking for a couple weeks about this this uh, movement this movement of prayer that we're, we're a part of and then we want to really spread and that is this this idea of unceasing prayer for our region and, and multiple churches being involved our day of the month is two weeks from tomorrow it's the fourth monday of every month and so our our goal is to have at least 48 people praying over half hour slots through the day uh we got over half of that filled up last week uh several people signed up all the staff's on all the elders are on uh, but the sheets to sign up for that there's three of them over there right at the foot of the cross you can sign up for a half hour slot and there's three separate sheets they're all actually the same sheet but the one that's got the most names is the one we're trying to make sure we fill them all up but then if you want a time that somebody else has already taken well then take it on another time we just want people praying all right so i want to encourage you i want to encourage you before you leave today to stop over there take a half hour time slot it's once a month uh, fourth Monday of the month, and on the fourth Sunday, we'll give you uh, reminders every month that give you prayer prompts for that. Uh, before we leave today, Steve Johnson, uh, one of our elders, uh, wants to share with you. And when he is done, uh, you will be dismissed. Morning. Um, Dwight mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Dwight Meadows, the chairman of the elders, that October is Pastor and Ministry Appreciation Month. And here at Shelby Christian, the elders have uh, put into a process that we think that is appropriate for us to acknowledge the staff of our church. We've been through some difficult times, and amazing things have been done. Souls have been saved, people have been baptized, people have joined the church, programs have started. Ministries have started, all in this difficult time, all because we have a wonderful staff. So Dwight came up with a 3P program, prayer, postal, and purchase. And we start out with prayer. And I'd recommend that you make it personal prayer. If you get the... uh, church e-newsletter at the end of that letter is a listing of the entire staff pray for them by name pray for them for protection good health wisdom encouragement the second p is for postal wait a minute that don't sound right (laughs) what we're saying is take time write a note send a card to the church for the staff. Let them know that you're out there and that you appreciate them. The third P is purchase. If you have the wherewithal, buy a gift card to a store or restaurant. 
Now, this is where your appreciation goes to the family of the staff. The families don't stand behind the staff members. They stand with them. And the staff member, if you devote your life to the ministry of Christ, it is a 24-7 job. It's not 9 to 5. It's not just Sunday. And it involves the family. How many calls come at home? I need help. Can you come? It interrupts meals. It interrupts time with your children. So here we can give them gift cards and they'll be distributed to the staff for the restaurants and stores, whatever you select. And their families can participate in that and enjoy that gift of appreciation. So... Yeah, we have white buckets at all the doors, and so when you come back next week, hopefully with some gift cards, just put them in the buckets. They'll go in there, we'll collect them for the whole month, and then divide them among the staff. So hopefully you will remember that. By the way, postcard is only 55 cents or a postage. And if you don't have the e-news to pray for them by name, Call the church, give them your email address, and you'll get your e-news. And for the folks out online, if you want to get cards, you can send them to the church, 2375 Frankfurt Road, right here in Shelbyville. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just praise you for all that you've given us today, this wonderful message. We pray that we would remain faithful, that we'd step through life without a doubt. We'll have challenges. We'll wonder at times where we're leading. But we just pray that we remain faithful and trust in you. So this we do through the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a good day.